0: good evening everybody oh well let's pray together uh, before we come to scripture and uh, please do pray with me now that the lord comes and meets with us we had a good night last week and god has been with us each week and we praise him for that one more week i think next week it's our final week Um, as we've looked for five weeks at the glorious presence of god We we don't want to study it we want to experience it isn't that right we want to encounter him so let's pray when i stand in glory i will see his face and yet now lord we we are like those who of old said sir we would see jesus we want to actually experience the lord jesus christ in his glory now father We want to encounter him, we want to know him, we want to experience what he promised when he said, I will manifest myself to you. So Lord, we wait upon you now as we come to your word. We want to see Jesus, we want to experience him tonight in Jesus' name, amen. If you want to turn to a passage of scripture, we're not going to look at it just yet, but it's Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 and um, if you remember last week as we were talking about Ezekiel and I think I've enthused a few people to look into the book of Ezekiel who hadn't an appetite for it before but you remember I talked about how the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who reveals the the presence of God in all of its fullness because he is he is God incarnate and in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 we read that he is the brightness He is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person. This is very important. We also looked at Colossians 1, Colossians 2, where it says, It pleased the Father that in Jesus all fullness should dwell. The ESV puts Colossians 2, 9 like this. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And so what we're seeing here is Jesus is the complete revelation of God. There's great debate goes on in theological circles between word, word religions, what is God like? But the answer is very simple. If you want to know what God is like, you just look at Jesus Christ. And in fact, on one occasion, Philip said to Jesus, eh, just show us the Father and that will suffice us. In other words, just show us God and that will do it for us and we'll, that, you'll, you'll convince us all if you just show him to us. And Jesus said, Philip, have I been so long with you and you don't realize that whoever has seen me has seen the Father? To look at me is to look at God. That's what Jesus is saying. And therefore, if we want to experience the glorious presence of God, does it not figure then that he deserves all our attention? John the Apostle said in his gospel, chapter 1, verse 14, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Did you notice those words? The word became flesh and dwelt, the original word there is tabernacled among us. And remember what we saw in these past weeks, what the tabernacle literally is. Translated in Hebrew, it means the dwelling place of the Shekinah. In other words, the glorious presence of God dwelt in the tabernacle, the tent and the temple over the mercy seat, the cherubim. But now we're seeing John says that Jesus Christ now, God incarnate, is God with us? And we saw his glory as the glory of God tabernacled. Jesus, in his physical form, was like a tent of the glory of God. And then in verse 18 of uh, John 1, it says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Jesus Christ has declared the glory of God to us. Now, we talked about how Shekinah is not a word that's in the Bible. But it's derived from the Hebrew verb to dwell shekan, okay so Shekinah is what shows up when God's around it is the visible presence of the invisible God, and we've looked at some of those examples we We looked at Genesis and the Garden of Eden, we looked at the tabernacle and the temple, which is in the most common way that God dwelt in the Old Testament, but there's other examples that we haven't had time to go into, like the burning bush like. Mount Sinai, when the law was given, there was thunder, lightning cloud, descending fire. Then you've got Moses, who, who prayed to God, show me your glory. And God says, you can't look at me and live, but I'll show you, I'll pass by you, and I'll show you my back parts. And literally the word means, I'll show you my afterglow. The afterglow of my glory as I pass by. And then in the next chapter, Moses, he had amazing encounters with God in his life. In the next chapter of Exodus 34, he has another encounter and his face actually shines because of that. And we saw last week as we thought about um, how the glory of God had been in the temple in Haggai chapter two, verse nine, there was a promise given that the glory of the latter house shall be greater than that of the former. In other words, The second temple would have a greater glory than the first temple. And that was mind-boggling because the first temple had the Shekinah glory. But in Ezekiel's day, as we saw last week, that Shekinah departed in stages and left Israel. And the second temple didn't have that Shekinah glory. So what was the prophet Haggai talking about? He was talking about Jesus. He was talking about how greater than the temple would come and enter that physical edifice and bring God's glory with them. And so that's really the fulfillment of Isaiah 9 that we think of at Christmas time. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death upon them a light has shined. The Shekinah, glory of God in Jesus Christ. And if you think of the, the Nativity story, Shekinah accompanied the birth of Jesus. It says of the shepherds in Luke chapter two, "The glory of the Lord appeared and shone around about them. That's Shekinah. The star that was in the sky, it was no ordinary star uh, that's evident from its behavior because it appears one moment and it disappears another and it travels in different directions. Stars don't do that. And actually the Greek word for star simply means radiant brightness. This star is the shekinah glory of God. I want you to understand the glory of God has come now in permanent form in Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ is the greatest demonstration of the Shekinah glory and presence of God that there has ever been. And we're going to look tonight at one of the greatest examples of that light shining out in the whole life of Jesus on the earth in the transfiguration, because the glory of God in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead, but it was veiled in flesh as the Carol says, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, but on the Mount of Transfiguration, that glory burst through and shone through his human flesh. And before we look at that, I want you to understand what my objective is tonight. It is that we all of us need to get a fresh vision of Christ in glory. If we're truly to know God's presence personally in our lives, in our church, we need to get a revelation of, Of the glory of God in Jesus again. Let's look at Luke chapter 9 then. Verse 27 uh, through to verse 36. But I tell you truly, Jesus said, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. And I believe what we're getting here in the transfiguration is a prefiguring of the coming of Jesus in his kingdom. Verse 28. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James... And went up on the mountain to pray. And as he prayed. Now try to imagine this. The appearance of his face was altered. And his robe became white and glistening. And behold two men talked with him. Who were Moses and Elijah. Who appeared in glory. And spoke of his decease. Which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened, as they were parting from him, that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told, told no one in those days any of the things that they had seen. Verse 28 shows us that Jesus mounted this, uh, what's known now as the Mount of Transfiguration in, in Israel. But he went with three of his disciples. He didn't go with all 12. He went only with three, Peter, James, and John. And this is interesting because Jesus took these three disciples on certain assignments that he didn't take other people. I don't know whether you can recall what those were, but one of them was the raising from the dead of Jairus' daughter. He went into the room where she was lying dead. He raised her from the dead, but he took Peter, James, and John with him. And the most sacred event of Gethsemane, where it says that he sweat as it were great drops of the blood, of his blood as he anticipated going to the cross and dying for his sins, it says that he went a little farther and he took Peter, James, and John with him out of the disciples. So these seem to be an inner circle, if you like, of intimacy among the 12 disciples. But I want to encourage you to think of it further than that, because there's times in the gospels we read of the multitude that follow Jesus. (laughs) And the multitude saw many of his miracles and the multitude often heard his teaching like the Sermon on the Mount and so on. But then you extract out of that great multitude 120 disciples that we hear of in the Gospels and even the book of Acts. But you can whittle that down even more because the Bible talks about the 70, some versions say 72, that Jesus sent out and gave authority to cast out demons, cleanse lepers, heal the sick and raise the dead and to preach the gospel of the kingdom. But then, of course, we're more familiar with the 12 disciples, aren't we? But we're seeing that among the 12, there were these three, and we can narrow it down even to one, because John the Apostle, John the Beloved, he was the one who was standing at the cross when the others had left, even Peter and James, And he is the one who describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I kind of think that's funny when he describes himself that way, but we will not get into that. Talk to John about that someday. But what I'm trying to say is there are various concentric circles of intimacy among the disciples even in Bible days. And I believe it's exactly the same today. Not everybody claims the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you understand what I'm saying? Not everyone sees Jesus in his glory. I'm not saying they can't. I believe they can, but they don't. And just like climbing any mountain today, many years ago when I was in the Scouts, uh, we we climbed um, Ben Nevis, the highest mountain in the UK. There wasn't too many people up there. When you get to the top of a mountain, there's not a lot of people there. And it's like that when you consider the intimacy with the Lord Jesus, that is potentially for all of us, but fewer at the top of the Mount of Transfiguration because it costs you. It costs you to get alone with God. It costs you to be away from other people and it costs you time to be still before him. And there's a necessity, if you really want to experience the presence of God's glory, to understand what it is to be alone and to be still. Silence and solitude before him. Of course, what outflows that is what we see in verse 29, prayer. Because it says, as he prayed... Up on the top of that mountain, uh, the appearance of his face was altered. But it says, as he prayed, he was transfigured. And it is in the place of communion that we encounter the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's there that we get to know him more and we experience the kabod of the weight, the heaviness of God that we talked about last night, the uh, last night that we were here. But it's through prayer that we ourselves become transfigured just like Jesus did into his glory. It's the place of communion. Prayer is the place where we experience the presence of God. Oliver Holden, he lived between 1765 and 1844. He was a hymn writer. He wrote a hymn that goes like this. Those who seek the throne of grace find that throne in every place. If we live a life of prayer, God is present everywhere. If we live a life of prayer, God is present everywhere. This is how we practice the presence of God. Getting still, in solitude, getting alone, praying with God. And praying isn't always a dialogue or talking. Some folk, it's a monologue. But it's actually at times just sitting and listening in the presence of God. But what we're talking about here is an abiding presence. Is it any wonder when we turn to chapter 11... Uh, of Luke's gospel in verse 1, the disciples come to Jesus and say, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples to pray and he gives them the Lord's prayer. But they asked this question because they saw Jesus in a lifestyle of prayer and they saw that he outworked in his miracles, the signs and the wonders. It came out of this intimacy with God, a life of prayer. And that's the fellowship I'm interested in. I don't know about you, but there's fellowships for this, that, and the other, isn't there these days? But this is the true fellowship that we ought to seek. A.W. Tozer put it like this, I refuse to fight over theories, but I am looking for the fellowship of the burning heart. I am looking for men and women who are lost in worship, those who love God until he is the sweetheart of the soul. And that is only found when we have fellowship with Jesus Christ. Now we see Shekinah here in this transfiguration. If you look at verse 29, you see that his appearance facially was altered and his robe became white and glistening. That's Shekinah. If you look at verse 34, you see it there again, while he was saying this, a cloud, cloud of Shekinah came and overshadowed them and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And then there's a voice comes out, which is also uh, a figure of Shekinah. Matthew's um, account of the Transfiguration, chapter 17, verse 2, says that his face shone like the sun. If you ever looked at the sun? Don't do that. That's bad for your eyesight. But imagine his face shining like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. White light. This was a scene that was hard to look at. And uh, Matthew also says that this this cloud that came down was a bright cloud. It was a cloud of light. And there was a voice that spoke just like the voice that spoke out of Sinai when the law of Moses was given. And you remember that Moses' face shone when the law was given up Mount Sinai. But the difference is Moses' face shone like the moon. Moses' face shone as a reflection of the sun. That's what the moon is. But Jesus' face is shining here as the sun because he is the sun, S O N of God. He is the S U N, Son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. He is God. He is the face of God as they're looking at him now. Wow. Peter years later reflects uh, contemplatively on what he saw up that mountain. If you want to follow with me, it's fine in first Peter chapter one and verse sixteen, or you can just listen. Second Peter I beg your pardon. Second Peter chapter one verse sixteen. Listen to what he says. And imagine him having been up with jo- James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration seeing this. This is what he said. We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we, are known to, uh, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is 1 Peter um, 1, verse 16. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed, as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter says, we saw this. We're not just passing on on some fairy tale. We actually saw the glory of God. We saw the majestic glory burst forth from Jesus. We saw him running up that mountain because the divine glory was going to burst out of his flesh and he couldn't get up there quick enough. We saw it. I'm asking you tonight, have you ever seen the glory of God in Jesus Christ? Have you? I don't mean literally, and some people may have seen it, Literally, I, I know of some people that that has happened for. But I'm talking about in your spirit, the eyes of your heart. I'm talking about in your soul, where you've been overwhelmed by the glory of God in Jesus. The problem is there are so many distractions away from the presence of God in Jesus. You see it here in the Transfiguration. If you go back there to Luke chapter 9, verse 32, you've got Peter and uh, He's asleep. And the other disciples, James and John, are asleep. Now think about this for a moment. They are asleep while Christ is glorified. That's like most of the church really, isn't it? Christ is in glory in heaven. If you want to know what Jesus looks like right now, look at Revelation chapter 1. In all of his glory, John couldn't even describe it. So he has to say like this, like that, like the other. And the church can be so much in slumber, not realizing that Jesus is no longer on a cross. He's no longer lying in a tomb. Jesus is risen, exalted, ascended in glory. The right hand of the Father. And we can be asleep. But it says here, when they were fully awake, they saw the glory of God. That is a wonderful description of revival. To come awake. To become awake to the glory of God. That's what we need. We need to waken up to who Jesus is, who our God and Saviour is, what His authority is, what He's accomplished for us, what He says about us, that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Him, and we need to come alive to that. Amen. Come alive in the name of Jesus, as the song says. Then Luke 9, verse 33. Peter, when he wakens up, <laughs> then it happened. Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. That's the story of Peter's life, isn't it? Not knowing what he said. He had foot and mouth disease. And um, opens his mouth, puts his foot in it time and time again. And you've got to admire him for that. At least his guts and his boldness. And he wasn't shy. But, see, he was falling into a trap. Because we would probably say, knowing what we know now from these weeks of study, especially last week, Peter, do you not know that he will not share his glory with another? So all this talk about a tabernacle for Jesus and then one for Elijah and Moses. That's not going to float with God. He doesn't share his glory with another. And in fact, when there is another presence there, as we saw from Ezekiel, all other presences, any other presences there will drive out the true presence, the holy presence. Now, I've got a question for you. Why is it that we can't enjoy the presence of God for himself without always trying to add to? it? We always try to better it. And yet God thunders from heaven. Look at verse 35. God thunders from heaven and says in response to the suggestion of these three tabernacles, this is my beloved son hear him or some uh, renderings of the gospels says uh, in him I am well pleased in him is all my delight now what God effectively is saying here is I am well pleased with my son I don't need anything else than him that's what he's saying so what do you, you need a tabernacle for Moses And of course, this is what the Jews had basically built in the edifice of the religion was a tabernacle to Moses because of the law was given through Moses and Elijah was the chief of the prophets. So the the Jews, they swore by the law and the prophets. That's what they lived their lives by. And they had built basically these great structures of religion around Moses and Elijah. And God is saying, no, let Moses and Elijah go. They're only distractions. They're only men, blessed men at that. But you can be well pleased with Jesus. You don't need any more than Jesus. God's saying, I don't need any more, and neither do you. The question is, is he enough? Oh, that is such a question. Such a diagnostic and probing question to each heart here tonight who, who professes to follow Jesus. Is he enough? Is he enough? And very often he's not. That's why we have to add other things onto him. But it's not because we don't know about him. We we know more about Jesus today, with all the resources that we have, than, than we could ever have known before. And it's not even that we don't know him personally, but perhaps it is we're not satisfied with Jesus because we have never known his glory. We've never seen his glory. We've never been touched and spoiled and changed and ruined by his glory. Here in Luke nine thirty-six, it says, When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. Matthew puts it in Matthew 17, verse 8, in the King James Version, When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. See what happening here? God speaks. You see when God speaks from heaven, you see when God really speaks from heaven and wakens the church up, the Moseses and the Elijahs disappear and the tabernacles and the shrines to this doctrine, that doctrine and the other disappear and we start to see Jesus only. God took all other distractions away. I wonder, is he starting to take your distractions away? He's got ways and means of doing that. The result will be you'll see Christ in glory. You'll be taken up exclusively and entirely with Jesus, God's Son. Another hymn writer, Spencer Walton, put it like this I've seen the face of Jesus. He smiled in love on me. It filled my heart with rapture, my soul with ecstasy. The scars of deepest anguish were lost. In glory bright, I've seen the face of Jesus. It was a wondrous sight. And since I've seen his beauty, all else I count but loss. The world, its fame, its pleasure is now to me but dross. His light dispelled my darkness. His smile was, oh, how sweet. I've seen the face of Jesus. I can but kiss his feet. It's interesting, Moses and Elijah were distractions in the very presence of God. Do you remember me saying this to you the very first week? That Adam and Eve were distracted by the gifts of God in the garden? Do you remember the priesthood and the Israelites in the Judges' day were distracted by the gift of God in the ark? Yeah. Last week we talked about how we can be distracted by the temple itself, And the tempter, listen, Satan knows if he can't distract good men and women with immorality, with the works of the flesh, do you know what he will do? He will distract them with holy things. He'll distract them with doctrine. He'll distract them with practices. He'll distract them with isms. What was ism? There's ever an ism at the end of anything. Stay well clear of it. I don't care what it is. Because it's a distraction away from Jesus Christ. Or self can be the distraction. You know, some churches can have up Jesus only. It's not very long until the JES falls off and it's us only. Yeah? In fact, this is staggering to me. Look at the end of chapter 9 and verse 46. Because... This happened to these guys who had seen God's glory in Jesus. Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. <laughs> we'll not go any further. These are the people who have seen the glory of God. These are the people who have been, the will be three and a half years with Jesus. And now even being in the presence of God, incarnate Emmanuel, God with us, they're arguing about who's the best among them. So like us. You see, what needs to happen is We all need to go the way of the cross. We all need to know death to self, death to aspirations, death to pride, death to the flesh. In fact, Jesus said this here in chapter 9. Look at verse 31. Actually, Elijah and Moses are talking to Jesus in his transfigured state about his decease, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. The word for deceased there, by the way, in Greek is exodus. Moses is talking to Jesus about the exodus he's about to perform. What's that? He's taken men and women and boys and girls out of hell and into heaven through the cross and through the resurrection. And he can do that for you tonight. Whatever your bondage is to sin, whatever the habitual addictions you're in, even if it's ritualistic religion, he's able to deliver you just like he delivered the Israelites through the Red Sea. And Moses is chatting to Jesus. By the way, men talk about, women talk about what most matters to them. And Moses is talking about the cross to Jesus. Elijah is talking about the cross to Jesus. Jesus has talked about the cross to these disciples in this very chapter. In chapter 9, verse 23, if you look at it. Then he said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what shall the profit of man be gains the whole world and himself is destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him, the son of man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his father's and the holy angels. Wow. It's all about the cross. It's all about the cross. And you know, Jesus, when he talked about the cross, in John 17, listen to these words. It's incredible. John chapter 17, and it's called his great high priestly prayer. He talks about God glorifying him through the cross. It's staggering. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come glorify your son that your son also may glorify you and in verse 5 he says and now O father glorify me together with yourself with the glory which i had with you before the world was this was the glory that jesus had come to earth for a gory glory it was blood anguish sweat tears spittle nakedness humiliation and sin but the glory of god is Because God is reconciling sinners to himself. God is settling the sin question forever. This is the center of God's plan so that we can have fellowship with him. And so the question is, if you're born again, and I hope you are tonight, and you've repented of your sins and you believe the gospel and you've come to God through his cross, through the cross and resurrection of Jesus by faith, if that's you, do you know what you've got? A privilege that no saint in biblical history ever had. You've got the privilege of face-to-face communion with God through Jesus Christ. You don't have to go through a priesthood. You don't have to go through a tabernacle or a temple. You don't have to go through a veil. You don't have to go through bringing offerings or sacrifices. You don't have to keep any laws or rituals. All you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ. And you can know God face-to-face in him. That is just incredible. Do you know how it works? Let me show you as I bring things to close. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Turn with me there. I want you to turn with me there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And look at the figures that are spoken of here. Light. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves. That's a bit of a laugh. I mean in today's context. That's what we spend most of our time doing, preaching ourselves, preaching our own church, our own denomination, our own particular theological persuasion or organization. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Let's let's make sure that's what we do. Thank God that's what crying Jesus does. I commend you and honor you for that. And ourselves, your bond servants, for Jesus' sake... For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. That's the creator God who said, let there be light, and there was light. This God who commanded light, Shekinah, to come out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Did you get that? Can I ask you, has God shone in your heart? Has God shone in your heart? to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where is that found? Where is that found? You know, there are boys and girls going all over the world and they're going to India and they're going to Japan and they're going to various places and they're seeing gurus and they're going to the New Age movement and following prophets and all these different types of things to find God, to find his glory. When the glory of God is found in the face of Jesus Christ. And if you're born again, you are positioned perfectly to experience God's glory. But this is the way it works. He shines in your heart, first of all, through the face of Jesus. But this is what you've got to do, and it's found in the previous chapter, chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, verse 12. Let's look at this. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing. Just as an aside, let me say, that was the glory of the old covenant. Moses put a veil over his face, not because he was going to blind the people who were looking. He didn't want them to see that it was fading away. Because the old covenant glory fades away. So we're not like those of the old covenant. But verse 14, their minds were blinded for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Because the veil is taken away in Christ. No need for a veil. Remember when Jesus died? What happened? The veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. God was rending it. Not from bottom to top. Top to bottom. God was splitting it down. Not just to say, come on, you can come to me, but I'm coming out to all you. Yeah? The veil is removed in Christ, verse 15. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. That's Jews who have not yet believed. Nevertheless, now watch this. How does this work as a Christian? How can I get more of the glory of God? How can I get more of this kabod and this shekinah? Here it is. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, as we've turned to the Lord in salvation, we all with unveiled face, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now let me break this down to you. This is what is called contemplation. When you, just like you look in a mirror, look into a mirror, but Jesus is looking back at you, and you spend your days, moment by moment, in that silence, solitude, and prayer of communion with the Son of God. And you behold his glory. You just gaze on him. You meditate on him. You feed on him, his, his flesh, drink of his blood. You commune with him. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone come in, open the door, I will come in. And, and I'll sup with them. I'll dine with them
1: bread with me.
0: You see, if you do that, this is, what, this is what happens. The Spirit of God causes a transformation, a metamorphosis. And the more you gaze on Christ and appreciate Christ and appraise Christ, the more you turn into the image of Christ from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. Do you get it? It's actually rather simple. I'm probably making it very complicated. You just spend time with Jesus and you get like him. And you carry the glory that he carries. And what is spoken of here is actually where it says, as look at verse 16, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When you turn to the Lord, and Christian, remember I said this last week, repentance is a daily thing. When you keep turning to the Lord, what you're doing is coming unto the entire lordship of Jesus Christ through surrender to the Holy Spirit. And what happens is that is equal to coming face to face with Jesus. Do you hear me? When you surrender to his lordship, and when you submit to the Holy Spirit day by day, and when you take up your cross day by day, that is equivalent when you spend time with him coming face to face with him and the Holy Spirit will do his job and change you to be like Jesus. But we've got to get rid of all the other distractions. In the church,
1: how many distractions are there? How many distractions are
0: there that distract us away from Jesus? The distinguished preacher by the name of um, Henry Joet, many years ago, over a hundred years ago attended the coronation of Edward the Seventh in Westminster Abbey, um, and he observed with interest as all the guests were assembling for the coronation the seating of princes and princesses from all over Europe, dukes and duchesses and others of lesser nobility, and how homage was paid to them how they were respected. But then he says this, then the king arrived and all eyes turned away from those of lower rank and were fixed upon him. So, Judd continues, literature, music, art, and sciences are worthy of our respectful attention. But when Jesus Christ comes into the heart, he must be king and all lesser subjects take their lesser place. Then the king arrived. The king has arrived. And lo, he sets in blood no more. He is risen and exalted. And he is reigning at the right hand of the father. And if you're born again here tonight, you're in his kingdom. You're in his kingdom. And you're a child of God. And you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You're a joint heir with him. You know what that means? Everything that's coming to Jesus is coming to you in the will of God. You're in the will. You're in the divine will as a son or a daughter of God. But to appreciate
1: that, you've got to see his glory. You've got to see his glory. Do you see his glory? I'm saved. I'm not asking you to see it. You've been saved for 40, 50 years. I'm asking you to see his glory. Do you see his beauty? Do you see him high and lifted up? When was the last time you sat in his presence with your mouth shut and the eyes of your heart just gazing, 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 gazing? Do you remember I told you about the vision of Ezekiel at the beginning of the chapter? Do you
0: remember that vision? And there was wheels within wheels. And the seraphim, the cherubim. And these wheels were covered in eyes. You know what it says in heaven? There are, there are these divine creatures. And they're covered in eyes. Divine creatures.
1: Covered in eyes. And they cry. Holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with its glory. They just do that all day. Holy, holy, holy. Do you know why? Because all these eyes, all these eyes everywhere are getting glimpses of the glory of the Son of God.
0: And they're just overwhelmed so that all they can do is just cry. It's like being surprised over and over again and again and again at the glimpse of his glory. They can't get over it. And so they just spend all eternity crying, holy, holy, holy. And all the eyes won't do to take in the wonder of his glory. you see it?
1: Do you see it? The glory of Jesus Christ. I tell you, if you see it, you will never, ever be the same again. And you'll never be satisfied with anything else. Let's pray. Let's take a moment in the quietness. Before any music, any worship, let's just take a moment in the quietness. Before any appeals or anything, let's just take a moment. If your desire is to see his glory, will you come to him now and say, Lord Jesus, show me
0: your glory. Move all the debris, all the rubbish and garbage out of my line of sight. Lord, move my tabernacles to my Elijah's and my Moses's. Move them out of view. Forgive me for defiling your presence with other presences and other shrines to other idols. But Lord
1: Jesus, I really want to see
0: might go like open the eyes of my heart Lord
1: I want to see you I want to gaze on you
0: or it might be Lord would you help me to get still to get quiet to get silent to, to, to draw aside to go up mountains to go into the secret closet to get away from distractions and to give you my time and my heart.
1: And Lord, as I do that, would
0: you you show me your glory? And we as the church, as a representation of the church here tonight, can we say, Lord we want to see your glory again we're tired of glory to men and glory to movements and glory to monuments we're tired of it all we're, we want your glory we want your glory back Lord we want people to be taken up again with Jesus Christ the son of God Father we know you want the bride of Christ back Father we know that you want your church back we know that you want a spotless pure bride for Jesus return. And it's not like that, that's for sure, right here anyway. And Lord, we need you to show, we need to fall in love with Jesus again, Father. Holy Spirit, reveal Christ to us again, as he truly is, that our first love will be won to us again. Years ago, he used to sing, of course, I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. We need to fall in love with Jesus. That's revival. Somebody was asked the question, what is revival? And they said it's falling in love with Jesus all over again. All over again. What do you love? Lord. What is it we talk about? Out of The abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is it we're talking about in the church? What is it we're talking about in our prayers? What is it we're talking about in our conversations? If Jesus isn't in there somewhere, we're talking rubbish. Oh, Lord Jesus, you have won
1: our hearts. You've bought our hearts with your own precious blood.
0: But Lord, we pray because of the mercies of God, Help us, because of what you've done, help us to give our lives a living sacrifice. Give our bodies a living sacrifice to you. That you may come and possess us. That we may become like you. And so, Lord, I pray that we people that you will put right now a commission on for the secret place, for the bridegroom chamber, to get alone with you.
1: And to gaze and gaze and gaze Lord Jesus, put your hand. Put your hand of commission on people here tonight to say, I'm drawing you aside now. I'm drawing you. I'm marking you. I'm drawing you aside to come into the secret place to see
0: my glory and to carry my glory. Yes, Lord. That there will be John the Apostles in this place. That there will be Peter and Jameses in this place will see things that others are not privileged to see because they've heard your voice tonight and they've chosen to go
1: go go up the mountain with you. We love you Lord Jesus.
0: We worship you and we honor you alone. If you're not a Christian tonight, will you take that step of faith? Maybe you've seen something in Jesus Christ tonight that makes you realize He's special and He's your Savior. we'll just ask Him to save you tonight. Ask Him to cleanse you of your sins. If you're backslidden, He's faithful and just to forgive you. Just confess your sins. Come back to Him. Whatever your need is tonight, whether it's healing, deliverance, some obstacle or problem in your life or way you can come for prayer tonight the team will be praying for folk afterwards but jesus is the answer the apostles could say silver and gold have we none but such as we have we give you in the name of jesus christ they'll arise and walk there's power in the name of jesus to help you tonight whatever your need is, because he's wonderful he's altogether together lovely and all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth so come Get what you need from Jesus tonight, but meet Him in faith and repentance. That's an important thing. Meet Him in faith and repentance tonight,
1: and He will meet you. God bless you.